All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a ruckus. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my prime. Your mind. Ain't it cool? First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. DJ Nubis here with you the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, episode 134 of the Hordes of Chaos. Hot damn. Hot damn. Been a busy fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've been racket balling up. We didn't do any today because you've been, uh, you let me sleep in and... Well, it was a excessively late night. Yeah, we stayed up till 3.30. We were actually supposed to do the Samurai show for a Versus episode, but we ran into some problems with our remodeling, so... It was supposed to be, like, really simple, because it's not, like, a major demo. We, we're not touching the tub or the tub surround. That's all perfectly fine. The walls are just going to be repainted, but all I wanted to do was put in a new floor and put in my new sink, because our old sink is, like, cheap cheaper than builder grade and literally the other morning when I was getting ready the um it's not wood it's like it because it was crumbling I don't know what it was made of but it like I needed to squeeze it because it was like sliding apart so I had bought this really nice sink probably back in February because it was on sale and I'm like this is the perfect sink for us it's going to fit it's going to give us more room in the bathroom and it's actually wood and it's not, you know, cheaply made, blah, blah, blah. So after I did that, I said, all right, listen, we got to do, we, we got to remodel the, put the floor in, then we'll put the sink in. So we've removed everything. And as I'm removing the floor, which is glued down by like, it's like floor on top of floor on top of adhesive. And it took hours just to get the floor removed. And then we realized that, oh, the original tile work from the from you know when this house was built is still intact and I actually really like it and here's the other problem there's dried up yellowed adhesive that is not coming off 
So even before, like, I really want to keep the original tile work if it's in decent shape. However, before we could even consider anything, we have to get all that fucking adhesive off because the new flooring that we put isn't going to sit properly until we clean that off. So then we only have one bathroom, mind you, which I never recommend. It's getting late and we're like, we need to get the toilet back on. That was an adventure in itself. I think I made a trip to Home Depot once yesterday. You made two trips to Home Depot yesterday. Finally, we have the toilet back together. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things when you have a very old house and we knew, because like, like even downstairs, you know, we had a pipe burst one time that we had to get fixed and then we had clogging issues that they had to send a guy out to root out and just you know recently we've got a new water tank and new ac thing so i mean things are coming along in other areas well, but remember when um <clears throat> we had carpeting in the basement at first and it was you could tell that like because the people we bought this from had two giant dogs and a cat and then i think when we moved in our cats were kind of marking over their oh, yeah. cat scents yeah. and it was like right when we first moved in i'm like all right we got to remove this carpet well, underneath the carpet was the tiles from 1954 when this house was built. And I was like, it, th this is what really upset me, though. If they were in good shape, they were fucking wicked. They were, like, the old school, like, yellow. As And I removed them, which, you know, I'm probably going to die because it was all asbestos tile work. And, you know, whatever. But we've, we've just discovered so many things in this house. Like, I mean, we've been here for 15 years. Um... The people before us only were here for maybe like a year or two and then they moved but the guy before that was there all through the 90s and 80s and it's like like when we pull down wallpaper and stuff you see like the layers of wallpaper and you know our kitchen needs some work um and i was joking with anubis because of what we're going through right now all i want to do is just replace the fucking floor in the bathroom it's 25 square feet it is not a big job but well the problem is is that we ran into a problem with the toilet and the flange which is cast iron was damaged like it was already broken one side but you know we we're not super familiar with how this stuff works so to get the other side out basically the other screw i should say uh, I knocked it out, but then it, because it's so rusted, it broke. So that you, like that flange adapter. So thing. then we tried to do like you know a different type of flange that wasn't wax, and do it that way. But there was no way for the bolts for the toilet to stay secure. I couldn't get them back to stay tight. So basically, I was kind of like already throwing my my hands up, saying I do I do the old Gary Lotman. I'm like. Just call somebody, get it fixed. However, Neko is the more uh, level-headed of the two, and uh, she was researching it. And yeah, you were being kind of nasty to me, and I was like, mm-hmm. I just was not ready to do this project this week. Well. <laughs> Too much going on. I knew it was going to interrupt everything that we were doing, but point is we got and, the toilet back on we can we can shit now right yeah and we did you did a good job figuring find that out i haven't called like this is what pissed me off because i was like all right i'll call a plumber and i'm even willing to before we finalize everything to call a plumber to double check to make sure it's okay and and it's seated on there and all but i called i'm online and there's like 
all these 24-hour plumbers. And I'm like, we have one toilet. We need a plumber tonight. Okay, well, I'm going to put you, this is talking to dispatch. Someone will call you. Have I received a phone call yet? Because everybody else, I, I would call and they would be honest. And they're like, we can't get anybody out there until tomorrow afternoon. I'm like, so I'm just going to pee in the shower until then, you know, fine, whatever. But that's why I was so desperate to try to figure it out. I'm like, because I don't know any plumbers and I'm going to have to like make friends with one or something. But I, um, I, I know it's going to cost us more money because we had that issue when you were saying when we had to have the main line snaked. It was Labor Day weekend and every plumber I called, they're like, oh yeah, we can't get anybody out there until Tuesday or whatever. And we were just kind of fucked. And then I found one person, they're like, yeah, uh, the emergency fee is an additional uh, $500. I'm like, well, we're just going to go over my parents' house until we can get this. Because when your main line is clogged, you can't turn on any of the water right. or flush the toilet. Because then it would start it backing up into the basement. And But that's why I get so uh, adamant about the grease. You know, like, that's why, again, with Jason, when he was still here, I would be like, don't dump grease down the drain. It Because, it, like, even though it's, like loose when it's warm it goes to the drain and it gets hard again and then it turns into a clog and we have old pipes I don't flush anything down the toilet except for toilet paper don't I always something like I'll let the grease harden and I'll scrape it out just don't put it down the drain we spent we've had it happen twice and how much money did we spend now granted I don't know if it's just because I've been more careful about it or because I use that treatment in the, um, like every, every couple of months I use that, which I yeah. just bought a new one. I, I use that treatment to keep the, try to keep the line clean. It's been about six years since we've had any issues. So I, I really try like, cause I don't want to go through that again. We had a whole weekend where if we had to go to the bathroom or take a shower, we had to go over to my parents' house. Who, how many showers did they have? Four. <laughs> Fuckers. So, yeah, it's been eventful, but, uh... Five! Anubis, his birthday was in March. He's finally getting his birthday present. Um, we're also having work done on our concrete outside, and the front looks beautiful, doesn't it? It's perfect, and I'm even going to get some new garden edging for my one side garden that's going to kind of, like... Because I have just that piece of plastic. I'm going to get, like, the nice gray brick that kind of matches the new concrete. Anubis really, we, we park in our backyard and it's literally just dirt and we don't like to street park because we're bougie, but no, we, both of our cars have been hit before. So with we, new cars, we don't, we want to avoid uh -uh. all that. People just don't give a shit out here where we live. So, and we live on, cause it's kind of like a grid pattern and we live on like the main street, not a side street. So when we realized that both cars could fit in the back, we started noodling around with the idea of let's get a driveway put in. We, we have the gate that swings, you know, wide enough. It's not like a little tiny baby gate. It's a big gate that you can pull into the back. So that's what we've been doing. And it's just been very muddy in our back. I'm like, we don't even use the yard as a yard. I have a garden back there and that's about it. So the guys came, and it's almost done. They're going to be pouring the concrete in a couple of days, and they've got it all framed out in the back. But this is Anubis' special birthday present because 
we really, really just... Well, I mean, we could have survived, but the problem is, out back, it's, it's dirt. Muddy. Yeah, it gets muddy and nasty, and it's just not even worth it at this point. And I, but, I did, like, try to fix that. Like, remember when it was muddy that one day, and I had every, you were at work, and I just, like, pulled my car out, and I threw some rocks in with the mud, and it kind of, like, gave a little bit more grip, because... There, there was the one time where you were, like, spinning tires back there because it had rained, and we're like, fuck. Yeah. But uh, tomorrow we'll be going to see No Moss and Suffocation. And I Hate God, and I forgot the last one. We're going to hit a couple of record stores, check those out up yeah, there in Frederick. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully, I really want to go play racquetball tomorrow, because if we don't play racquetball tomorrow, we're not going to get the racquetball until maybe Tuesday night. We should probably set it up for 10 We've been playing a lot of racquetball. I know we're so nerdy, but she's I, getting good. He's already good. He used to play in high school and college, you know. And he, um, when he was in high school, he was at a boarding school too. So they, you know, when you really don't have a lot of activities that are uh, deemed so much room for activities. <laughs> well, I mean, racquetball is kind of wholesome, you know. It's just like. So you would just go play sports. That's kind of, I think, one thing that really got you, I don't, don't want to say into sports, but the, when there's not a lot of options given to you, and you're, because it was a Christian high school, so they also are like, there's censorship on what music you can have or what magazines you can read or what books are even made available. It's like, I guess I'll go down to the activity room and play racquetball, or I guess I'll join the football team. Yeah. And I have never had so much fun. I know that sounds stupid, but I know some people genuinely enjoy going to the gym. They're like, yeah, I got, I got um, a pump in, and I, I feel great. I literally count down the minutes that I'm on the treadmill. And with racquetball, it, Time goes, flies. it flies, and I sweat, and you know, I'm getting better. And he's, you know, he's very good at matching my level like if I'm having a bad day he'll take it a little bit easier on me if I was having a really good day the other day and he was like kicking it up a notch and he can really hit the ball pretty fast and I was like returning it a few times and you're like I didn't even think you'd return that <laughs> so it's our, new, it's our new activity yeah so in this episode got a couple uh of movie reviews to get to, a documentary review to get to, a little article about Maiden uh, a little later. Got some new music from Hooded Menace, uh, Sarcophagus, Aborted, Ginger, uh, Puget War, featuring Dave Rotten from uh, Vols. Uh, also got some stuff from Inverse Records, Music Records, uh, Hard Life Promotions, Grand Sounds, Quabar. And uh, Stentor, who's a new one, uh, sent us a band to play. Cool guys. I've kind of talked to them back and forth. Got a uh, next block here. Some classic material. We're going to kick off some Man of War. Going out to Eric, who's a big fan. Nice.
the depths of the earth Beneath the azure We pass the gateways of slumber A final destiny Dead dreaming The old one waits for a sign From his dwelling in Raya Cthulhu shall rise
scars that cut me way too deep I'm numb to life anymore so just let me be Can't seem to scratch and pick Life is earth is no Can't come back, it's too late now
Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Alright, DJ Anubis. Back with you. Why is Tremors a horror movie? Because <laughs> of the the grabbers, the graboids, as they call them. But I never considered it a horror movie. Well, I it, considered it more of a sci fi movie. Well, yeah, sci fi horror at all. I mean, alien sci fi. Yeah, but alien's scary. Tremors is not scary. Tremors. You know, it, it's it's supposed to be, but, you know, the comedy between Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon is amazing. Their chemistry on there in that movie sort of makes it. Well, we, uh, but the I... idea that something's going to grab you from the ground is pretty terrifying. Even, like, the one dude <laughs> jumps on the tire to try to, like, get away. He's like, dude, you're not high enough for that shit. <laughs> and it uh, just sucks him in. We, um, my girlfriend and I, we were obsessed with that movie. And, um, it's not in the theater. I don't. I th- we most of the stuff that I saw when I was younger, it was all on like HBO. You were probably about twelve mm-hmm. at that point. No, I was. It, when did it come out? Ninety. I, I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Ninety. Yeah. Probably ninety. Because ninety, I was, 90 or ninety-one. Because I was still living right by my girlfriend Tiffany, and we used to play the Tremors game in my basement. Tremors game. Yeah, we invented a Tremors game. So, we invented parkour, basically. But we called it Tremors because of... The floor is lava is what we did. But we didn't call it the floor is lava. We called it Tremors because you had to jump from furniture to furniture and not touch the floor because the Tremors would get you. Yeah. We invented floor is lava, people. (laughs) If you don't know, we're working on our 1990s list, which we'll be getting back to next podcast. Excuse me. That was awesome. So, we do have a horror movie to review for you. And uh, we've been holding on to it for like a week or so. We, I was hesitant to even do it because it's quite bad. But in the spirit of everybody's really talking about Lady Fat Blood... And Samurai, they did their little review on it and whatnot, and we have a lot in common with them. I think initially I was pretty uh, more lenient than Neko was on this film, but uh, as I've thought about it more and more, I, I, I'm kind of coming back down to earth with it. I think for me, the thing that was most irritating isn't so much like how bad the movie is. It, the main actress was a terrible actress and she's supposed to be the person you know and you called the movie from the get-go like what was happening you're like it's yeah it's her it's her i'm like (laughs) well it's very predictable um the the one twist i it's like i wasn't shocked but then i was like oh wow that's kind of cool and that was about the only thing like how it happened with her Mm -hmm. was cool but at the same time, kind of sitting there going, eh, okay. Um, so basically, the premise here is uh, Madison, played by Annabelle Wallace, is a housewife who is trying to get pregnant and have kids, but she's been having miscarriages, and a lot of that has to do with the abuse by her husband then. Um, 
in one episode, uh, she's pregnant, and he gets violent with her and rams her head into a wall uh, to the point that she's bleeding, and, you know, she's she doesn't go into the hospital or anything, uh, strangely enough, but uh, she tries to take a nap, but she's still bleeding from the back of her head. So basically, uh, at this point, she's laying there, and then her husband's downstairs because she's not talking to him, obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't talk to his ass either. He hears a noise, gets up, and it's wandering around. All of a sudden, next thing you know, someone, like, comes behind him and, like, really, like, just fucks him up. Like, cracks his neck in a way it shouldn't go, and it's just pretty bizarre. And she comes down, sees it, and she freaks out, calls the cops. And so, at that point, there's this investigation. But then what happens is she starts having these nightmares or dreams where she's seeing what this killer is doing uh, in her dreams. And so she's, she's actually experiencing it. So she'll, like, be sitting there and show the, the surroundings will start to change to that setting where the killer is. Yeah, it's almost like she's on... It's like a trip. That's what they say, like an acid trip. Right, so... But then she witnesses all these murders, and she's, of course, telling this to the police, and they're kind of, like, skeptical, like, how she knows this shit. They're like, so... Is she, like, a gypsy or whatever? Yeah, um, how do you know all this? And then, like, because they're all logical people, they're like, it's clearly, you know, she's got something to do with it. So they were, right. like, they were know, like, all over her shit. You know, they figure out that her ex-husband who's dead was abusing her. So they're like, hmm, yeah, you know, maybe she's the one that did it. Because there was no bro- broken injury into the house that night anyway. But, uh, as the story unfolds, uh, we find out about her, her past, that her... Her name isn't really her name. She was somebody else. And she was adopted when she was 10 or right. 9. And she's the oldest, but then she has a little sister. From she was at a mental institution, like the stepsister, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, shit starts to really unravel. And we find out that she actually had a, a brother, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way. I'm not even going to give you the... Twist. Right, like... I, it, that's really the only redeeming, interesting part of the movie, uh, if you want to call it that. Uh, one thing Neko pointed out during this movie was the fighting between the cops and the killer. And it relied on CGI, which I agree with her that was really weak. Like, there was no need to go that route with that. Yeah, because it was so... It, it looked like a cartoon. Right. It almost looked like trying to think which spider-man it was that they went went really heavy on the cgi and it looked like a spider-man cartoon it did like the cop looked cartoony the killer looked cartoony it didn't look like a person anymore and sometimes for me like i i appreciate cgi for a variety of reasons like you know being able to put people in outer space and but when you have two like living people who can have fight choreography it's not like that this killer was uh supernatural or anything you needed to make it look like you know oh there's a ghost or something it wasn't the killer is a killer you know it's a human killer so you don't need all this excess cgi to to make it work spoiler alert sorry it's a real killer it's not and they're trying to make it seem all very uh you know supernatural it's it's bad. It is a bad, bad movie. Yeah, 
you know, it's funny because you could have went, you know, you got back to the actress involved. Like, I don't know much of her work. She looks familiar to me, but, and she may be good in other stuff, but. Not in this. <laughs> but you could have went kind of like anywhere with the particular actress. Like, if you were going to do fight sequences, uh, there are plenty of female actresses who know martial arts and you can kind of get away with doing that, which would have made the movie better in that mm -hmm. aspect. Um, for instance, Lucy Liu would have been good in that role, or uh, I know Jessica Alba uh, has uh, skills. Jessica Biel has some skills. Uh, wasn't Jessica Biel, or, or no, what's the other one? Alba? No, the other one. There's a third Jessica? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh no, it's Jennifer. Uh, what's her face? From the Garner? Yeah, she was Electra for a hot second. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, just... I don't know how much martial arts skill she has but the point is it didn't have to be like just a regular actress like you can find other actresses who have some of our physical skills who can perform those those maneuvers it's just lazy to me to go to the cgi route with something like that i know i mean it, i get using cgi for things like space monsters creating fake dinosaurs but right <laughs> for two people fighting yeah. Yeah, and then I think um, I, I don't even remember the ending right now, but the mother remembers. Oh, that's right. Like, I forgive you. Yeah. I should have loved you. Oh, that's right. Because then there was like this mind game between. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. So even the ending was kind of like kind of stupid because it it left you kind of just wondering, okay, what the hell just happened, and why is it ending like this? <laughs> So it was already really bad. Um, yeah, I, I think initially I gave it like a 5 out of 10, but I think I would drop it down to a 3. I am... She gave it like a 1, I think, which is what most people give it. But see, I feel like a lot of people are really divided because I have people who are like shocked on my, my uh, you know, like people I talk to on Facebook. They're like, oh... You know, these are my friends, but they're, people are commenting about Malignant, and they're like, oh, no, it was really, you know, really well thought out, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what planet are you on? Well, here's a fucking interesting thing. I think you looked it up earlier. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics actually gave it a 73. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, the audience gave it a 53. So even if I had kept it at a 5, it's about where the range was. But... Yeah, I, I've seen it on Facebook, too. There's people in the movie army dojo that actually like the film. Um, I, I I stopped trying to figure out why people like certain films, especially in the modern age, because I don't find many modern horror to be that good, at least American-wise. Um, a lot of times when we find stuff we like, it's always like a foreign film of some sort, uh, whether it's uh, One Cut for the Dead or... Uh, Train to Busan, stuff like that, you know. Train to Busan was amazing. Fucking amazing. It was, besides being like zombies, it was action and the fighting and. Yeah, so, you know, it's not that American directors can't do horror. It's just that they're not very good at it anymore, at least for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, the you know stuff in the past obviously is all good, but you know just I, I really have a hard time with like a lot of modern horror when it comes to American filmmaking, but, and part of it's because they keep remaking shit instead of coming up with better ideas. Um, in fact, it was kind of funny. We, 
talked about this particular character, how it reminded us of other characters, you know, that they tried to do. Oh, shit! I forgot what I said! Remind me! Remind me! I know, I remember saying that it felt like it was a ripoff of, of something else. Yeah, shit, I can't shit. remember it, but... Oh, I remember you bringing it up. But that's the thing, like, I, I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, yeah, i kind of seen something like this before. Um... But without giving it away, just, you know, look, you, you have to kind of check out the train wreck for yourself. You may end up liking it as a fan. Uh, maybe not. But uh, I think it had some decent ideas. It just didn't execute them very well. Like, I'm looking at some of these, like, websites about, these are legitimate websites. Um, Forbes, James Wan's Malignant. The best Hollywood horror uh, movie of 2021. I'm like, these really? are legit <laughs> websites that love, you know, the, the Hollywood Reporter, the twist, the ending, uh, explain, like, Mashable. It's campy yet creepy. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, like. Yeah, I don't matter what movie you referenced, but uh, it was on point. Shit, now you're making me... I, I need to start writing down all my comments that I make on movies because I kind of like do the whole mystery science theater thing while we're watching. I, I can't watch a movie <laughs> quietly. So I'll be like, oh. Well. <laughs> she, she, while we watching something, she's just like, she starts making these quiz like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so scared. Uh, Wait a minute. Oh, God. Because, wait a minute, they had the... The mother was in the attic, right? Yeah. Yeah, she kidnapped the mother. Um... Yeah, it was all sorts of weird shit going on, but... Either way, uh... Oh, some people are saying Malignant is a ripoff of the dark half of Stephen King novel. Possible. Mm -hmm. Could have been inspired by that. Wow. Yeah, so, anyway... Uh, we don't really like the film. <laughs> it's it's pretty much trash. But, uh, we'll get back into some music here. You're so funny. Yeah, we don't really like it. <laughs> so. I mean, I really don't have much more to say on it. It's just, it's really bad. Just bad. Yeah. I don't, yeah, and I don't even really... And and sad thing is, we watched the trailer beforehand and, and thought, oh, wow, this might look be pretty good. It had, like, the creep factor in it, but... No, not really. We were found ourselves kind of bored throughout it. Uh, in the next block, some classic stuff from Sorrow. Also have uh, a one-man project from Jersey, uh, Drifting to Black, uh, with uh, Craig Rossi, who sent us uh, his recent album, Patterns of Light. And uh, we got a track off of that for you called Among the Beast. I believe it's also tied into... I mean, it says he's part of black doomba records but i think this was sent through stinter public relations so i'm not sure how that works out uh but we got some brand new hooded menace with blood ornaments from their recent release so here we go and we'll be right back <laughs>
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Alright, we are back. Neko wasn't here last time. I went to go see Pig Destroyer beer release. Um, so this time she'll get to check it out. A lot of fun. Uh, had a blast last time, so it was kind of cool that uh, Blake and company are doing it again. <clears throat> Actually, I should correct myself. It's not Pig Destroyer. It's Zealot R.I.P. Yeah, Zealot R.I.P. is yep, next week. Blake's project. Um, yeah, so anyway, I recently uh, came across an article on bladdermouth.net and... Uh, kind of interesting because it touches on a few things I've stated in the past regarding uh, illegal downloading and everything else. So we're going to get into this a little bit. Uh, the article is Iron Maiden's Bruce Dickinson says nobody had a copy of Sinjitsu for two years after it was recorded. So clearly you all heard us play a new track from Maiden uh, last week from their new record. Uh, I didn't even realize this record was already done to, in 2019, so that's that's how long they had it before they released it. Um, but according to Bruce, only he and one other member of the band had an actual copy like of the, the record. Master. Right. And they didn't let anybody else hear it, not even the rest of the band. And one of the things I talked about when it came to illegal downloading is, yeah, I don't support it in the sense that I don't like if people take something that's a property of someone else and then tries to capitalize on it by making money. So mm -hmm. if you're downloading material and then turning around, burning it, and trying to sell it to people for your own income, that's fucked up, period. Uh, I've always been in favor of using downloading as a preview tool. So You you do that. You'll you'll um download some things or you'll you're lucky, though, because you do have a lot of people who will just send you a, right. a sample here and there. Right. But you'll still buy the album and buy the record or the tape or, you know, the digital release. Well, it, for me, it's two different things. One, yes, if I find a, a, a preview that I really like, and it happens a lot throughout every year... <laughs> In fact, uh, in the last two, three years, uh, especially since you started going out, uh, I've gotten more back into vinyl, so I've been buying vinyls of bands that I really, really like, and a lot of those are from downloaded material. I'm like, oh, this band's fucking kick-ass. Let me go see what they've got in terms of cassettes or vinyl. Uh, I still like CD. I just don't buy them as often. Cause I think we, we, if if a band is offering a vinyl or a cassette, because cassettes are coming back strong too. I mean, you've got those two cassette holders. Um, three now. Three now. Well, the two have 48 um, slots, so that's what, 96 cassettes. And then you have that other large one. I forgot how many um, slots. Probably like 100. Yeah. yeah. So you've been really trying to beef up your... And you have some down here still, I think, too. Yeah, yeah, those are just random stuff. But the thing is, like, with the vinyl and cassettes that are often put out by 
more modern brands is that it's still limited. Like some of these, I've gone and looked at other bands. So I'm like, oh, maybe this would be kind of cool on cassette. Well, it's already sold out, you know, here or there. Uh, but the point is, is that it was funny because I used to say, well, I like it for previewing stuff so I can see what I want to buy. And then all of a sudden, FYE was starting to do those listening stations. Uh, Tower kind of did it back in the day, but... Well, the local record and tape traders, you could ask them to listen to anything, and they'd give you a few minutes to listen to it. But the thing is, like, I don't have to go to the store to do that. <laughs> I could do it at home. And But the, the, one, the other thing is that kind of, like, irked me about the whole people against downloading and stuff was that... They kept saying, oh, all these all these kids and stuff, they're stealing this, this music. And I'm like, where do you think the fucking music is coming from? And I told people back then, I said, and this is years ago, I told them, I said, there's only one way that someone's going to get a hold of that material. And it's from the band or mm -hmm. from someone who the band gave. Or from this, the, yeah, from like the label. Radio or... stations, wherever you're sending that fucking album, whoever's getting a hold of it, they're putting it online. Mm -hmm. Okay, they are putting it online for people to use Napster or whatever LimeWire they were using to get that material. That's the only fucking way it's gonna happen. I mean, some of the older stuff is a little bit different because everybody already has. Well, right, right, right. CDs, but by then, no one. But see, with metal, like a lot of times, like stuff that I was hunting down at the time wasn't even in print anymore. That that was what I was doing too because at that time um, when Napster was really huge. And I still am a big Sublime fan, but, like, somehow a lot of people had um, a lot of live stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, stuff that was never really released um, that I found absolutely fascinating that I was able to find. And, you know, God only knows this is, what, 2000? Who knows where any of those CDs that I, I burned are. But I do understand the gripes, though, of the bands because if stuff is getting out there without them knowing that just is hurting their industry however you're you make a really good point if it's something new the only way somebody's going to get it is from someone who produced it well the other thing is and you know i always go back to this too is like bands like Tulanus uh with the wasp keeper like i would have never known about that record without hearing it through a download so, as much as people want to gripe about it, the other pros about it is that it's free marketing, really. You don't have to pay for any promotional use to get that out there. Now, I've always said that, you know, for a while they used to do the whole beeps. Used to make fun of the typo negative one I had that oh, had a beep in. Like so, and I was and I was okay with that because, yeah. Out in stores, October 3rd. I couldn't use it in any of my shows, but... The reality is, okay, you either use the beeps or voiceovers, or when you go to deal with these record companies, you don't, or the uh, radio stations, like the real ones, the mainstream ones, you don't send them the entire album. You send like a single or two, and that's it. Like, don't give them access to an entire record. But a lot of bands don't do that. They just send the whole fucking thing. And that's the problem, too. Now, in, in Maiden's case, Dickinson says part of it was, yeah, we didn't want it to get out there and get leaked. That was one. The other part was they didn't want to go back and listen to it two years later and say, oh, man, we need to change some shit on this record. Then it would just delay the record more. 
So they purposely didn't do that because they just wanted to, they liked that at the time they made it and they figured they'd just put it out there. I've read, uh, actually this will come into some of what we will talk about later with Prince, who felt like he needed to put everything out right away. You remember uh, that? Yeah, in the doc, he like he wouldn't hold on to anything. It was like his brain could not stop. Like, he, yeah, he felt that he felt like everything had to be done like then. Like if he had something to say, it had to be heard. But we'll get into all that later. But it, it has a similar theme because we we talked about the, the internet and downloading, and Prince was actually a forward thinker with he that stuff. Like, yeah, once the internet is uh, up and running, everybody is going to have access to everything. Mm-hmm. But I did find the article uh, here what pretty interesting because they took, Bruce and him took care of the fact that they didn't want to let the record be in the hands of a whole bunch of people. They kept it with just two guys. They put it away and they waited till now to put it out. And that's a way to stomp out the illegal download. Now, I still got a preview through illegal download, but it's already been released. So whoever had it, bought it and put it up, and then that's how I heard it. But, you know, the, the thing is, like, and the thing is, like, yeah, you can say, yeah, I have the MP3s, but, like, I'm not crazy about the album as far as, like, buying it, but at the same time, I'm not going to go and start burning it <laughs> trying to sell it for profit. Like, I will still give bands a free airtime without charging them shit to play it. Yeah, we never charge anybody anything. Right, like, it's... I've always hated the idea of the whole, like, uh, airing stuff and paying the artist for it. Like, that's dumb to me. If you, I've had a band come to me one time and ask me to take their music off the air. And I was like, okay. I, you know, I didn't gripe about it. Uh, but it, I wasn't making any profit from giving them free publicity or airtime. So, I prefer, obviously, to work through the labels and promotional sites that I deal with, but they don't always have uh, the bands that I come across, so some of the material I have does come from illegal downloading. But, again, well, again, I don't make any profit from it. I, I, I stand fast with that. I don't make any money from it. And if you're going to be pissy and pouty... And I'm going to call out every fucking band out there in ours who, who feels differently about this. But if I don't like your fucking record, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to blindly go like I used to back in the 80s and 90s and just buy a record because of the album cover and decide that later it sucks ass and I've wasted 20 bucks. I'm not doing it. Fuck you. Period. I'm not doing it. It's bad enough I got to watch Malignant and fucking hate the fucking movie. Oh Granted, God. I didn't have to pay for that except to reach HBO Max, but... Could you imagine if we went to the fucking movie theater? I think you wanted to go to the movie theater. I did. Theater. And I said, I'm not I in the did. Mood. I said, let's go next week. I'm not in the mood to go to the movies this week. I said, oh, look, it's on Eastern Mass. We'll just check it out here. Mm-hmm. We almost did it for Mortal Kombat. The only movie we went for sure, and that's just because we're all really big fans, is Godzilla vs. Kong. But we knew that was going to be good, so it didn't fucking matter. We would watch any Godzilla. But the point is, like, I've always hated the fact that I've wasted like 14 grand on CDs that I just don't like. Yeah, and like a lot of them, I mean, I know... I ended up selling them for not even what it was worth. Like, I, you know, you remember that time I started kind of going through them. Yeah, you I must have sold like 500 of them for 
like 200 bucks best yeah and you had that one guy who came to the house because he was a, a cd collector too he, right he doesn't live too far I, I think i still have his email somewhere he doesn't live too far from here and i i like put it up online um and he's like can i come look at the cds and we're like sure and he took like a whole bunch of them he's like because we're like oh yeah it's like three dollars each and he's like i'll give you like 200 bucks for all of them we're like okay sure take them all yeah i mean he didn't care he was an avid collector which is fine that's what i was pretty much doing for years but then i just got to a point like I don't even listen to half of them, and like even if there's some out there, there's only like a couple songs that I liked off of it. But it didn't change the fact that I wasted fifteen to twenty bucks buying it. Yeah, and not only that, the way that we consume music nowadays is way different. I mean, you, I, you made me that little USB stick. Mm-hmm. You have the little USB stick. Our cars are there's no CD player right. anymore. Right. <laughs> like that's how we, we have CD players. But, oh, yours doesn't. Mine, mine doesn't. does. Yours does. Um, I don't use it, but, you know, but the reality is, is, like, I weeded out a lot of CDs I didn't want. I kept a lot of the ones I did. I still have a good 500 to 1,000 CDs. I you have about 1,000, because each shelf, I think, holds 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, now it's more about, oh, what, what would I think would sound good on vinyl, or is it, like, a rarity, which happens a lot with some of these bands, like Oxygen Destroyer or whatever, they're cassettes and vinyls are only to a limited amount of copies no moss the same way i also like um you know now that we're you know bands are getting back into vinyl um cds are great but they were you know small and that was kind of the cool part about them too but like with the vinyl they're large and there's a lot of artwork and mm-hmm. there's a lot of like like sleeve designs and things and i, well, feel, and I, I feel like people get more creative with their vinyl yeah it, well it, it's that's part of the whole thing that's one of the things that people talk about when it comes to buying the merchandise even with cds you know you want the the hard copy you want the artwork that comes with it and i i agree like that's the one drawback with mp3s even if you go to Bandcamp or whatever there is no you know hard copy of that like there's one band called they that has an amazing record unspeakable that they released like two or three years ago they have no hard copy at all of their music, of that record. Like, it's all just MP3 digital. That's crazy. Uh, and their artwork that they put for the display on the, the website is great. And the music's great. It's like one of my favorite records from that year. But there is no cassette. There is no vinyl. There is not even a CD of that record. And uh, So, like, how do you... Uh, how do you... You purchase a you digital. Think just, just like a digital download, and that's all. That's it. And you know, it's probably just they didn't want to put any more money into it. I don't know how they work in terms of a band or whatever mm-hmm. when they put it together, but the thing is, like, yeah, when it comes to vinyl and cassettes now, it's either I'm buying stuff that I've already liked for years, and I'm just now collecting them again. I had some stolen way back there. That's a tragedy within itself, mm-hmm. but. Uh, and then, of course, the vinyl. Like, I'm finding a lot of modern rock bands that have a lot of old vintage sounds, like classic rock vibes and 80s rock vibes or whatever. And I buy those because I, I know they're going to sound great on vinyl, so that's what I do. Um, but I just I found it very interesting that Bruce, one of the things that Bruce was addressing was, yeah, we're going to hold on to this. We're not going to allow it to get out there in four 
I've been saying it for fucking years and years. The only way that people are going to get a hold of stuff, even this day and age, uh, the stuff that I get, it's because it's coming either straight from the artist or somebody who knows the artist who has a hard copy and puts it up for digital download. It's the only way. It comes straight from the horse's mouth, period. Very rarely you're going to find a person who's who's smart enough to hack into some random band's computer and take their shit. It's a very rare idea with that. And nine times out of ten, it's going to be the band that's the at the fault for why their shit's on the fucking web. Because even though your intentions are good, you're out there trying to promote your shit. You want people to end up buying it, which is the whole idea. But when you do that, when you give out your your demos or your your promotional CDs, whatever you're doing, whether it's radio stations or your friends or at shows, the minute you do that, it's going to end up on the web somewhere. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what country, whatever, it's going to end up there. So yeah, I feel vindicated. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> I'm taking that win. <laughs> He's like, you're taking that win for me. Taking that win. Okay, into our next block in music. Brand new stuff from Aboard. A very good record for them as usual. Sarcophagus was in there as well. Some brand new stuff. It's it's spelled differently than the other ones usually are. Oh my goodness. Uh, but I had a, a band who I know Neko was kind of digging when I was previewing it the other day. This was sent from them, not a legal download. Uh, they sent it to me. Mm-hmm. It's the new EP, debut EP. I'm not even going to pronounce it because I don't know how to pronounce it at all. It's like Vyaja Guru. What? Band from Taiwan named Dharma. Yeah. I don't even know how to pronounce that. But, I don't either. But their lyrical themes is Buddhism. And uh, got a track for you called Seven Buddha Sin Eradication Dharani. What's kind of cool, sorry, I know we're getting back into the music. When I was in Taiwan, I um, there was, remember I was looking for like the Taiwanese record stores and stuff. And the weird thing about Taiwan, though, is shop hours. Right. Like, certain parts of Taiwan are really commercial. And like, because right where the ship was, there was a huge shopping mall within bike riding distance. Like, we could see it from where we are, but we would just hop on a bike and ride over. Um, but Taiwan also, Sundays are, like, a big deal because everybody is off on Sundays. It's not even, like, because they're Christian and they want to do Sunday, like, worship. It's the factories are Monday through Saturday, and Sundays, like, everybody is off. So I was, you know, I'm only available when I'm available like for a certain amount of time in port so I was desperately trying to figure out how can I like find some of these record stores or some places to go and where we were located you know where every kind of port area is kind of like very it's not like bad but it's nothing is there and it's very empty and warehousey but to get to like the town you need like to get a cab or something and we would do that we would get but again i'm working so i only have so much time on my hands and by the time i get done off of my shift and i try to get a cab everything's really closed so but there was believe it or not there is a a metal scene 
in Taiwan. Oh yeah. And I found a couple of like places or I was looking up like, you know, this metal band was playing here and I'm like, shit. So I was trying again, like this happened to me also when I was in Hong Kong, I was desperate to go to a, a couple of places, but if you have certain tastes like you and I do, it's hard to find other people all the time who are like, hey, I have a really great idea. Let's go to this underground uh, metal club in Taiwan where, you know, Taiwan they speak Chinese. And some people know a little bit of English, but we learned through, um, there's Google Translate where you can like take pictures of stuff and it'll tell you what it is. But some places like it, everything, they have it in English too. So we're going to go, um, you're trying to convince somebody to go someplace where nobody speaks English and uh, it's probably not going to be music that they want to hear or do, so. Right. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of like throw that out there. Taiwan, they do have a pretty strong metal underground there. Oh yeah, definitely. Alright, well here's Dharma and enjoy, we'll be back.
at you live on Metal Tavern Radio. This is Mike Alvord from Mind War. Turn it up and remember, speak What up? It's about that time. Time out the rock block. Cause we're back. Back for more. I'm having a snack stick. A meat stick. A That's meat what stick. I like to call them. Meat sticks. <laughs> they're not Slim Jims. They're I go into a store and in my head I'm like, snacks. where is your meat sticks? <laughs> they're looking at me like, what the fuck are you on? Mine's right here. <laughs> You're right. Oh my god. So in this rock block. Okay. And this is going to get cool, really. Uh, so we got, from Quabar, a band called Dickless Tracy will be kicking us all off here in a minute. I love that name. Yeah. Got some Spirit Bomb from Grand Sounds Promotions. I like Spirit Bomb, too. You played them recently, and I was like, that's pretty wild. October Changes from Hard Life Promotions. Got some classic Y&T. We've got Neckles Pick of the Week, mm -hmm. which is a doozy. And then I actually got Prince doing some rock. Yes, and we're going to get into a whole lot after that with him, so uh, very cool. Uh, and actually, some of this is new to me when it comes to Prince, so uh, we're going to really enjoy the shit out of this. Yeah, we both really have always been Prince fans. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, Purple Rain's not a rock album, except for maybe Let's Get Crazy, which has like a pretty rock vibe about it. But Prince has always kind of dabbled in both rock and pop, and... Even in the doc that we watched, it shows he's got a wide range that he was dealing with. And that's the song I have is one of those times where he was doing something that I never even knew about. So, very cool stuff. Uh, in fact, I saw someone the other day who compared Prince, and kind of rightfully so as far as guitar playing, to Jimi Hendrix. Like, they are both very good. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't really think of Prince as one of those stellar guitars, but he really is. And I always noticed that. Uh, when I listened to him back in the day. So uh, we're going to kick it off though with some Dickless Tracy. This is Dawn of the Living Dead. Yeah. 
Y&T forever. Yeah. Uh, quickly to uh, correct <laughs> Dickless Tracy. Sorry, guys. You are death and grindcore, not rock and roll. Uh, somehow in my notes, I put you down as rock, and I guess... Dickless Tracy's pretty badass, so I have no problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're going to kick off a rock block, that's the way to fucking do it, right? Just come fucking balls out. Yeah, barrel Smack! Through. So, uh, great tune there with Don of the Living Dead. We did have some Spirit Bomb, October Changes, Y&T. Mm -hmm. And now we are at Neko's Pick of the Week. So, Neko loves this band. Neko has already played a song by this band. Um, but, honestly, what I really dig is the whole concept of listening to this entire album while watching The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> So cliche. But we've done it before. You, ha we have it on tape, don't we? Yeah, that's how we did it. That's how we did it. So I, um, I think it ended up being twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to pause the movie to flip the tape because we didn't have an automatic flipper. I think in our new tape player we have an automatic flipper. I don't know. That was the same one. No, it was in the old one. And that's the whole reason we started looking into the. Um, the one that we have now because the tape player it doesn't really work right on this one it might i mean we hardly use the old one but it might just need to be clean oh, that's right because you had the mm -hmm. yeah that's right so this week i'm picking um pink floyd yeah pink <laughs> 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 i need some help there with that i did i had a little brain fart Hey. And um, we were in the car. I mean, ever since I quit my job, we've been hanging out. <laughs> I um, we've been hanging out a little bit more, which is kind of nice because I even had a friend of mine say to me, "You've been home from the ship for over a year, and I've only seen you like three times, and it's true." I, I, you know, but I've had legitimate things happening with my mom being sick, but, you know, my mom, probably, like, February and until May when she was officially done with her treatment, like, every day she was better and better and better and needed to be less and less and less, and I have not had to help her with anything since No, like, she's doing really well. What, probably April? Yeah. I haven't really had to, and, like, I was still just going over there to keep her company and make sure she was okay but now like she drives now she drives herself to work with an hour away from her house twice a week you know like she's she's fully functional she's pr perfectly fine but you know still with my my previous job it was really putting a strain on our relationship on top of like even with uh taking care of my mom and stuff um and one thing I've learned over this last year is you can't put a price on your life or happiness. Um, because when you were that close to the end, you know, you know what's important to you. I saw that with my mom and like my mom and dad have like made a lot of changes after this brush with my mother. Um, 
one being my dad retired. Like, he was kind of in a situation that I was in, but I was only in it for seven months. He was in it for 30-some years <laughs> with his old job. Right. Like, he never has been satisfied, but he's just not that he's a very much a creature of habit. But he's like, fuck it. We've got all of our financial stuff in order. I'm not stressing myself out because I want to spend the rest of my days... So he's early retired. He's like, I got, I mean, my wife almost died. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, I think that no, today's going to be my last day. I'll see you later. It's literally what he did. Because yeah. he told them he was going to retire. He's like, I'll, I'll, this is my notice. I'm going to retire. And they didn't believe him because that's usually what happens. Nobody believes you. And then <laughs> he said, oh, you'll believe me. See you later. And then he, he, they asked him, you know, to stay to a specific day to help out one of some one of his a colleague that he liked. Yeah, he was gonna help somebody for a little bit, but mm -hmm. then something changed, and he's like, "Okay, well, today's my last day." Because well, they kind of screwed over that colleague. He um went into work, and and uh, his colleague was you know technically his boss, and he he comes into work, and they're like, "Hey, this is your new manager to my dad," and he's like, "Did you know about this?" Like looking at uh, Charlie, his his colleague, and Charlie's like, "This is the first I've heard of it." So they basically promoted somebody over top of his old boss, and nobody was told, and it's like, yep. So he just got mad, and he said, you know, my wife is better, I'm not wasting any more time being miserable. I'm like, I'm glad you retired, you were about to have a heart attack. So, you know, I, I'm clearly not going to not work forever. I will find another job soon, and I'm working on it, but it's been really nice that we've been able to, like, hang out a lot the two of us we've been able to you know play racquetball listen to music go to the store like we've been just doing a lot of stuff together and i i really appreciate it you know it's you you appreciate what you don't miss like like i got to go to lunch with my girlfriend but we were just driving around the other day and the, this song came on and i was like fuck i love this song and the, clearly, if you haven't heard, gotten the gist of it, like the album we're talking about is uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And um, the song is Brain Damage Slash Eclipse. And I always just totally dug the two songs as one kind of concept. I don't know how you feel about that, but I love it. Yeah, you know, when you last did your Pick of the Week with Pink Floyd, you chose Learning to Fly, mm -hmm. I think. And I was kind of surprised you didn't chose this song first, but, you know, as you said, you're a big fan of the band, so there's so many to choose from, and that's always the dilemma with a lot of bands that you like, that, you know, uh, you can choose just about anything. If I were to do Rat, you know, like, you I could like choose... all of them. Right, like, so... I want them all! I want them all, so... So, for, for, like, the... I told you, it's kind of odd, because Learning to Fly is my favorite Pink Floyd song overall. Um... Eclipse slash Brain Damage is probably my number two, but Dark Side of the Moon is my favorite album. But they have so many great albums. You were saying the same thing. You're like, you know, I like a little bit off of every album, I think. For me, though, Dark Side of the Moon is is perfect. Like, and I don't know if they conceptualize this, or I have not read enough if they've ever given an, any kind of, like, comments on the whole... Wizard of Oz thing. <laughs> I don't know. They probably did at some point. I, yeah, I'm sure they did. But I, I honestly... But I think someone... I think I'd read more recently that 
someone who broke down that kind of thing said yeah you know you can take just about any album throw it up against any movie and you'll find some like parallels right so it's you know probably someone who was really on drugs back then said oh yeah dude pink floyd dark side moon this is what we're gonna do right uh but it really you could take any uh record you know whatever and put it against a certain movie and it probably would match it in some way but yeah I think part of the way the wizard it works so well with the Wizard of Oz, you could probably take other like spacey type movie song albums. Um, the Wizard of Oz, you know, it's a classic. It's been around for so long, and it's the classic man. Well, it's it's classic old Hollywood. You know, it's big, bold, and the imagery and the story is something where you can have that really cool like progressive type music playing you've got the tornado you've got the witch you've got like the munchkins and you're zipping around up and down the yellow brick road it's it's the type of um it's a type of movie that goes because it's so theatrical it goes well with having a grand type um you know back soundtrack like with with uh dark side of the moon um, I often wonder too, like, ha are there other, and I'm going to have to look this up, like, what other movie album mashups do you think are out there besides, like, you know they're out there, but, like, what others are out there? I don't know, I might have to review that and research that a little bit, but I know I read an article where someone had kind of said, yeah, it's not that difficult to take a record and pit it up against a movie and then say, oh, yeah, you know, this is the perfect one, or this was written for this. Like, I think that was sort of like the mythology of Dark Side of the Moon, is that supposedly the album was written for to play against uh, Wizard of Oz, and, you know, I, I don't really... But here, the thing is, is you have to play it through twice. Right. You have to. It's... Yeah. The, the movie is long as fuck. Right. You know what would go good with Wizard of Oz, too? Um... Mortician? No! <laughs> Devin! Let there be light. Yeah. You know, that whole album would go great with The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that, yeah that's a pretty lengthy record. That's like 20-something uh, songs. Mm -hmm. And The Wizard of Oz is like a two-hour long movie. Might have to try it just for fun. Yeah, see what happens. Right. See what happens. So, for this week, I'm sorry, you know me, I'm going on and on about everything. A happier Neko. Hanging out with her man, Anubis. And uh, this week, we're going to listen to Little Pink Floyd. And here it is, Brain Damage and Eclipse. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four, three, 
DJ Neko's Pick of the Week. The lunatic is on the grass. The lunatic is on the grass. Remembering games and daisy chains and laughs Got to keep the loonies on the path The lunatic is in the hall The lunatics are in my hall Holds their folded faces to the floor And every day the paper boy brings more i 
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. All right, that was Prince with Screwdriver. Very rockish, very classic rock vibe there. Enjoyed that a lot. We recently had a chance to check out on Tubi, one of our favorite apps, yeah. Uh, a documentary called Slave Trade, How Prince Remade the Music Industry. And uh, there's a lot it's, it's, There's a lot to take in, because it's like a two hour and 30 minute doc, so mm-hmm. it, it's well worth it. Uh, there's actually a lot of balance when it comes to the pros and cons of prince and you know his career and everything else and you know i came away with it like i don't want to focus on so much the negative aspect but there are things about prince that i wasn't aware of that i kind of said to myself well you kind of did yourself in so yeah, right because you know he's he probably is one of those people that was uh I don't know if it's OCD that I want to really think of, but, you know, he had his mindset on was, certain things. He was very controlling about all aspects of his music, and it was important to him. And when he's realizing that a lot of these artists, including himself, you know, they're not, um, they're not given access to their masters so they really themselves are making billions of dollars for these record companies and they still don't physically own their own creation and i i totally get the story and the the name of the the movie you know slave trade because his deal that he had was it with columbia warner brothers warner brothers um and he's not the only artist that I've seen this happen to, especially, like, I don't want to say younger women, like we were saying Britney Spears and Amy Winehouse. There were parts of, like, Britney, and this is why Britney had a meltdown. Remember when we were, like, and it was so mean to say this, but wasn't this, like, 2008 when Britney had her meltdown? 2007, 2008, she shaved her head. I remember going into the, the break room going, oh, God, what's Britney? They had on TMZ, and what's Britney going to do today? Entertainment, t- you know, tonight. <laughs> and there's a new Britney story, but she literally, like, she's she's had so much trauma from she was a slave to her performance, and then on top of that, you know, she was under that conservatorship for so many years. Like, she was yeah, never Yeah, she got kind of like a double whammy between both the industry and her father, Guardian. And that's with a lot of younger female singers. That seems to be like Keisha had similar mm-hmm. issues. And Well, that one, I you know, the part, the one video that would flash all the time is when she shaved her head and she was like at the hairdresser. She was going to the hairdresser and she just shaved her head and... She recently kind of spoke on it, and she's like, I just wanted people to leave me alone and stop touching me and stop forcing me, like, to do things and to look a certain way. And she, at that point, because she was about my age, and at that point, she was 28 years old. 
So she's like, I'm an adult and I can't even be treated like an adult. So I shaved my head because I'm supposed to be going to the hairdresser to get my extensions redone because I'm supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way. And she said, I can't even be a mother because people are giving me shit about, you know, what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, I, if I remember around the same time as she was married to Federline, I think. <laughs> That's who ha who's the father of her kids. So, but that was like a nightmare of a marriage, too. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's all this shit and going then on. And it was her acting out, you know. She, I'm sure she really, she loved her kids, clearly. And she loved Kevin for, you know, the time that they were married. But it was just a whole act out type thing. And, um... Amy Winehouse, they're infamously, she, um, she was on tour, and she was, a lot of people don't realize, yeah, Amy Winehouse had a, a drug and alcohol problem, she did, but she also had a really serious eating disorder, and, um, nobody, like, her manager, I think her dad was her manager, too, that was another problem, kind of like with Britney, and, um, Amy would go to, she was on this tour, and she's like, I, I'm not, I don't have the strength, I'm dealing with too much shit, and they're like, her music, her, the company itself is like, you are required to do this tour, you are in a contract, so she did the tour, but she literally stood on stage and did nothing, and people were so pissed off, she's like, I can't tour anymore, like, she told people she needed help, and she was in and out of rehab, and the poor girl only had like three albums and she was super successful and over all of her personal issues, you know, the, the company didn't care about what was going on with her personally, didn't care that, you know, that's because she's, she was making that money. What, yeah, she was a piece of merchandise. Mm -hmm. And that's what Prince was realizing it early on, like, and he was not standing for it. And he said, I am he didn't have a producer he was the producer he had an executive producer somehow he was able to be very he adamant out. about his control of his music right and you know the thing is like did i'll go into the cons first like he he's dealing with something that a lot of art especially around that time and even going back to the 70s had to deal with we hear about the horror stories all the time where uh labels have full control you know, like we talked about the masters, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so Prince obviously sees this and now here's something that I felt was kind of uncool of Prince was it wasn't that he was trying to fight for what his worth was. I thought that was good, but he was like trying to throw Michael Jackson and Madonna under the bus in the process to do so. Oh, He's yeah, like, he was like, I'm more, I'm a better yeah, musician. He, he, he was basically just like, you know, I'm, I'm the better songwriter, which, you know, it's all debatable, but you you can go that route without doing what he did and, and basically throwing them and saying they were trash artists compared to him. I think that's really a shitty thing to do. Um, but he did have a point in terms of, hey, I need to get paid my worth. But the other thing that is of kind of like it's really on him more than anything you know he had this big grievance against warner brothers but we talked about the time we were watching is that you know he signed the contract and if he didn't have a lawyer present to explain and he probably didn't he probably because he was very much he wanted to control his own right he likes to cut out the middleman he doesn't want managers he doesn't want producers mm -hmm. so he probably didn't have a lawyer to explain to him that oh 
if you sign this, you're signing away your music. And But that's the thing that Prince could never grasp, and it went on for years. Uh, even after he got his $100 million uh, contract. Well, that's kind of like where the, the spiral went out of control, because a lot of his, his contract was... Incentive-based. Yeah, it was, it was incentive-based, but it was in, in advance. Mm-hmm. So he got a lot of it on an advance. So it was $10 million if he sells 5 million copies or more. And he did with Diamonds and Pearls, but then his, you know, his follow-up albums were not selling the way that they were. Yeah, I were. think he said Diamond Pearls did like 5.8 million, mm-hmm. which he has mark. So he probably got the 10 million advance for the next record. The problem is it didn't do very well. But again, this is where... No, see, they gave him the advance at the beginning of the record. That's what I said. So when that's why he was calling himself a slave because he accepted the advance he signed the contract and then they're forcing him performance because it was a 10 record deal in the i don't know if it was that much i think it was five no because it was a hundred million dollars oh that's right you're right you're right so it was a 10 record deal and anytime he wanted any kind of controller to do anything with his ideas if he circumvented the system if he did something that was outside of that contract because they had paid him the advance they were trying to dictate everything that they wanted him to do well i don't know about that yes that's what they said in the documentary um because diamonds pearls came out was fine the next record didn't do very fine it's turned sales and this is the thing prince was such uh and I don't really knock it, but he was a, a, I dare say, progressive. He was trying to think out the box all the time. We, we heard about it with him doing The New Generation. Uh, he did things with Carmen Electra and all these side projects, uh, Sheila East and whatnot. Uh, he was always trying to do something different, but the, his audience was not expecting a lot of that. They weren't ready for all this other stuff that he was doing. Uh, with the stuff that you mentioned about him going off the cuff and like releasing records on his own, he ran into a lot of problems there because Warner Bros. like, look, you're under contract. Anything that you release has to come through us. And that's what pissed him off. But that, the reality is that's the contract that he signed. And that's where I don't feel sorry for him because you didn't do your due diligence with making sure that you had total control like you wanted in your head you wanted but all you wanted was the money remember how they talked about the headline he wanted for them to be like the highest paid musician at 100 million he got that but he didn't pay attention to the the small writing at the end of the contract so basically when he didn't meet the sales uh standard for the next record after Donald's and pearls they weren't going to advance him any more money but he was still pissed because he said you guys said you'd pay me 100 million he wasn't paying attention to the contract. So he started doing this other shit where he started going off the hook. And we kind of talked about Britney Spears and shaving her head. Well, Prince is like covering his face. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was wearing those weird. Like, he's not talking. Time. and he's, he's talking through his girlfriend at the time. Uh, he's doing all these weird things. And, and the problem is, and this is not so much his fault, but. At the time, we didn't have the internet and everything at that point, and so we are only relying on what MTV and all these other news press uh, casts are telling us. So 
We think he's fucking just gone Looney Tunes. We think, oh, well, Prince is off the cuts. We can't feel sorry for this guy. He's a millionaire who's bitching about more money. Mm -hmm. So we don't know all the finer details about what's going on. But the pros to Prince is that he was forward thinking. He, his musically, he was always thinking. If you just heard that Screwdriver song, this is something he had done, I think around 2004 or five. Uh, maybe even a little bit earlier, but he was branching out, trying different things, but his audience wasn't ready for it. In no, fact, they just wanted the 80s, 90s prints. No, right, so when he was touring, like, that's the thing. Like, it was sort of like the Iron Maiden thing. They didn't want to always play the hits, but the reality is, that's where you're going to make your money. And Prince finally realized that towards the end of his life, when he did the Super Bowl and, of course, the Grammys with Beyonce, Oh, if I play Purple Rain and all these other great hits, people are going to pay me lots of money. That's what they want, because they want to see you when you play live. It's fine to play new music. That's what we go to a lot of these metal bands for, because they're releasing new records. But if I go to see fucking Rat, i got to fucking hear all the classics. i got to. got to hear it. And, you know, for a long time, Prince just didn't understand that. He was like, I just want to do it my way. It's got to be my way. People just got to get on board with it. And it, he did what he had to go dormant. Like, mm -hmm. he wasn't making any money. And But, you know, he was one of the first to talk about the Internet taking over, which was the death of uh, the major labels, which was true. Mm -hmm. uh, probably about, what was it, 95 or 96 he started mentioning it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course... He's like, once the Internet is available, artists will be able to provide their music... For free, if they choose. Digitally, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of funny because he was one of those guys that even though he went to YouTube and pulled all his shit that no one can play, uh, he was a big supporter of uh, downloading because he's like he knew that was going to cripple the big wave that it, like Warner Bros. had fucked him over for so long. And he also was he set up his own. Yeah. Like, on, like, he before, was one of the very first. Before Apple, mm -hmm. he had. You know, the downloading... The cheesy website. And he, he was the first one to do, like, the whole, like, um... What do you call it now? Where you get money in advance. Fund me? Go fund me? He was doing something similar where he's like, Yeah, I've got pre-orders of my next record. If you pay this much money, you're going to get concert tickets plus the free album. Uh, and this, this, and this. But at the time, because the internet wasn't a really big thing, nobody was paying attention, so no one cared. Uh, we were all still going to the, the stores mm -hmm. and buying our stuff and our media, so no one cared about pre-orders. Or like back then, you know, I'm trying to think, this is before you and I were even together, but I, I had cable um, internet, and it was a big deal because not it was expensive, and you, when you first met me, I had, you're like, oh my god, this is amazing, I, I have to get this, and I'm like, yeah. So, I had cable internet, and still people were doing dial-up or other type of, of internet, and um, I was able to get, because websites still nowadays can be hang up and be a problem, but early websites were not capable of handling a lot of traffic. And I remember, I can't remember if it was the HF Festival or something, 
but I got my tickets online, and it was like a big deal. Like, I didn't have to go wait in line. I didn't have to go find a ticket master, like, physical ticket master location. And because I had cable, I didn't get hung up. And even nowadays, when there's a big concert that comes out or some big, you know, whatever, sale, websites get bogged down, and you can't. But just imagine back then when there was nothing, like, there, you didn't have that kind of bandwidth. Yeah. So, basically, uh, you know, this little quip on uh, blackroofs.org, uh, who kind of reviewed the doc, he says, before this documentary, I had no knowledge of Prince or his music. All I knew was that he was a great guitarist, wore makeup, and my mother loved him. So as a total newcomer to his career, watching Slave Trade was like an atomic bomb of information about this legend. My mouth was continuously dropping open in surprise and dis disbelief at the risky moves Prince made and kept making even when things were turning sour. There Again, there's this period from like the late 90s to probably mid-2000s where his career was just like stagnant like you you know he just wasn't there and then the grammys that he did with beyonce probably around 2006 or 7 kind of reignited everything that's when he chose to go back because he had kind of like not played any of his old stuff he'd, he'd become like a, a what was it a harry krishner was that right jehovah's witness, jehovah's witness. and so he'd kind of written off playing his old material because of that and, uh, you know, he tried putting out a record, which I think is like Children of the Rainbow, I believe they called it. And, you know, that was all lyrically about Jehovah's Witness and the spirit and religion and stuff. And everyone who's ever reviewed it said, you know, it's a great musical record, but as far as, like, the lyrics, no one could connect with it because it was personal to him and not anybody else. Like, that's one of those problems with bands like Striper in the past is when you're singing about Christianity and Christ, if it's not something that's kind of open-ended like P.O.D. or Demon Hunter... Uh, or even Creed. Right. If, if you can't take the lyrics a little more open-ended where you can use it with anything, you're going to lose your audience. And I guess the way that uh, Prince had done that record lyrically was something that people could not connect with. But the music, they said, was very on par with his stuff in Purple Rain and stuff like that during that era. But it's a good doc. Uh, certainly worth it to check out. It's free if you have Tubi on the Roku app. Um, I enjoyed the shit out of it. It was really good. Like I, It actually did teach me a lot more about him as an artist and a person and where he was coming from because we I remember like when it happened I was young and I'm like dude change his name to a fucking symbol like you know it was just like a big but he did that to get out of a mm -hmm. contract yeah. like cause he was yeah, and that's the thing about him like even if he was wrong in a sense not living up to cause like he started pumping out it was pissing off Warner Brothers. He, we talked about this early. He pumped out records like two or three times a year just to get out of the contract. He was just trying to fulfill. He's like, I need my ten albums. I need to be done. Right, and you know, and but we discussed this also that with Maiden, like, or any other band, like we talked about with Def Leppard. You know, uh, the follow-up record Adrenalized to Hysteria had already been written like a year or two after Hysteria got released. The problem was. 
they kept releasing singles off Hysteria, and it was doing so fucking well, staying up at the top of the charts, that the band's like, we just can't release it. We we just got to hold on because we're still touring for this album, and it's still selling like hotcakes. And that was a time, though, you know, singles made a, a big uh, impact on your record sales. Mm-hmm. So, like, every time you potentially released another single, you're potentially selling another full album, too, because that was, like, kind of the hook. Like, nowadays, I don't... I, if I recall, that album had, like, six number one hits mm-hmm. off it, so that's how crazy it is. Nowadays, it's a singles market. Like, you don't even conceptualize an entire album anymore. Like, in, in the most popular music, it's not, like, where you were like, okay, I'm gonna go buy the new whatever album. It's like music drops, and sometimes you're really late to the game because it. There is some pros and cons to this. Um, and when Adrenalize came out, I remember Let's Get Rocked was the first single, and it did pretty well. But granted, the scene itself had started to shift. We were losing the hard rock and glam rock stuff, going into the grunge and Nirvanas and all this other stuff. And one thing that Prince had stated was, look, I'm writing this record about how I feel about this or that, and I just have to get it out there. I can't hold on to it for another year because it may be dated in his opinion. Or if you look at it another way, uh, we know it with pop artists that you're here today, gone tomorrow. If you're not staying in the news mm-hmm. constantly, you're going to lose your, your well, drive. Most of them are more popular on social media and for their social media presence than like their actual music now yeah so check it out it's called uh slave trade how prince remade the music industry and you'll find a lot of the information in there very intriguing because uh he was very forward thinking and very creative and how he was maneuvering himself and uh yeah good stuff uh great artists uh love him to death Miss him. So we're going to enter our next block of music here. Uh, I got some stuff from Metal Message, called a band called Wazara. New stuff from Brainstorm, and here's some brand new stuff from Ginger. This is called Colossus. Losing the control 
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. I witnessed with my eyes your testicles touching my drum set. All right, that's it! That's it! You two guys leave me no choice. No television for a week. What?! We are so serious, guys. You're fucking hot! Are you out of your mind?! Goes in Robert's wall safe, and it's gonna stay there. No! Okay. This house is a fucking prison! I'm playing bullshit! In the galaxy of this sucks camel dick! <laughs> We're back, and that was a little clip from 2008's <gasps> Step Brothers. Oh, fuck. Yeah, good movie. Uh, wow, you know, it's funny because I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, you did too, and like the scores are like so low. And I just don't get... This is one of those movies where I don't understand how it could be rated so badly by people. Even Roger Ebert only get like a, a one and a half star in his review. And I'm just what like... What does Roger Ebert do? Right. Yeah, it, it, I just... I don't get it. Like, this to me... Grandma's Boy and this are like my two favorite and two of the best comedies ever. And we bought this... I think like at Rite Aid or CBS on a whim. Right? Yeah. Let's watch it. And that's the thing, because, like, Will Ferrell's generally hit or miss with me, but this is one yeah, of those things. I, I, I love this. I, um, I love Talladega Nights. You like Talladega Nights. I don't like old school. I don't like Elf. Yeah, right. Um, but Anchorman has its parts, especially when he and Christina Applegate are, like, they're doing the news, and then they're like, you know, fuck yourself. Like, under their breath, there's a lot of good parts but it, overall as a movie it's not my favorite <coughs> but this 
If, yeah. I, if I need a laugh, I just, you know, recite some Step Brothers. Yeah, I, I think that what happens is, is, and this probably just shows our age, we're more old school when it comes to comedy, like if it's dirty comedy. Like, I think people now, if they listen to, say, like, Eddie Murphy Raw, they just wouldn't get it. They'd be so, like, offended oh, or whatever, but... I think that might be my next pick is Eddie Murphy Raw. <laughs> but the thing is, that's the thing, like... We're in such a day and age now where just nobody really gets to dirty humor anymore. Like, or, or they get offended by it and it's, like, sad. Like, this movie is just... It's it's insane, but it's supposed to be that way. It's, like, so off the hook. Like, I can't remember the woman's name. She was in uh, WandaVision and in Parks and... Was it Parks and Rec? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Kathleen... Um... Yeah. She a uh, great actress. Uh, very funny. And... <laughs> Her, her, even her quips and her scenes in this film with uh, John C. Riley is amazing. Like it's just it's so good. And uh, Mary Steenberger and Richard Jenkins, who play the father mm-hmm. and mother, are great in this. Oh, Catherine Hahn, sorry. Catherine Hahn, yeah. I just it it it's so off the hook. Great. I mean, the the moment where Adam Scott is with he's his character is married to Catherine Hahn's, and they have the kids and. They're in the car and they're singing uh, Sweet Child of Mine a cappella and like, you know. He's like, I spend a thousand dollars on voice lessons. I'm not hearing it! Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I was getting an accident and like two seconds later they're right back at it because, you know, they start singing. It's just, it's so crazy. But Farrell and Riley are like top of their game in this. Like, they're basically the premise is. Farrell and Riley are two 40-year-old men who are very childlike. So uh, Riley's living with his dad, who is played by Richard Jenkins. And (laughs) Farrell is living with his mother, Mary Steinberger. And Steinberger's character and Jenkins' character get together at a convention. And as they're getting ready to get it on, they're talking about, Oh yeah, I have a 40-year-old son, so they they have something more in common. So then comes, like, the meetup when they first get together because, uh, you know, they're, they're getting married and they're moving in together. But the stepbrothers are hesitant to accept one another and trust one another. So there's, like, this bitterness. And so there's this scene at the beginning about their dinner table. And, <laughs> you know, the mother's trying to get everyone to get on the same page. And so she's like, oh, yeah, well, I had this sauce that... Uh, Oh, my fancy sauce. Will's character loves a lot, and we call it fancy sauce. And so, Brennan. Brennan. So, Brennan starts, like, you know, putting it on his plate, and he's like, Yeah, it's my fancy sauce. And so, <laughs> Dale's character is like, uh, Yeah, I'd like some fancy sauce. <laughs> but Brennan's not giving it up. So, at some point, uh, the mother's like, Well, you know, Brennan's a really good singer. <laughs> And then Dale's character's like, well, I can sing too. And so, <laughs> you know, he starts going, if you want to get down on those hairy nuts, crotch party right up in here. So it, it, I can't do it as well as them, obviously, but. So I'm reading this. Brennan's testicles, remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From the clip that you played? Mm-hmm. They're clearly a prop. Right. They cost ten thousand dollars to produce, 
to, you know, like, make them look as good as they did right. to uh, the makeup people. And Will Ferrell kept them. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the scene we're talking about is once they're inside the house, uh, what is Dale's character's name? I can't remember, but... Dale is the character. Oh, Dale is the character. Excuse me. John, John C. Riley is the actor. So Dale is uh, showing Brennan the house and where he can go and the rules. And so there's this one room with his, Dale's drum set. And he's like, look, no matter what, you can't come in here and you don't touch my drum set. You're good. It's the one rule of the house. So Brennan's kind of like looking at it like, hmm, yeah, that looks fun. So one day when Dale's out, Brennan is up there and he decides, because they don't like each other, obviously, so Brennan's in there and he starts banging away on the drums, like not playing a note, but he's just trashing it, and he's like, fuck you, Dale! And so he goes back downstairs and he's watching TV, and so Dale comes back and he's like... Why are you so sweaty? Yeah, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> so Dale goes up, He's like in his room with his drum set. And he's kind of looking at him, real skeptical. He's like something's off. So he's like measuring with his hand, like the symbols, where the distance is. And then he sees this chip on his drumstick. And so he runs downstairs. He's like, "I know you were playing my drum set. I want to hear you say it." And Brand's like, "I didn't. Nope. Nope. That I didn't play that at Please all." He's touched my drumstick. So then, at one point, uh, Brand's like getting up to walk away, and Dale's like, "Where are you going?" And Brennan's like, I'm going to go put my testicles on your drum set. <laughs> Dale's like, if you do that, I'm going to beat your ass. So I end up, of course, you just talked about the prop. Brennan's up there and he takes his drum set. And it's not just like flapping it on the drum. He's like rubbing it. Yeah, it's... it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's, so then it's his... nice looking testicles, too. They're very realistic. Right, so this big fight just breaks out and... He takes out to the lawn, and then the parents have to come home, and it's like, ma'am, like, the neighborhood's just watching this go down. And this goes on for a while, like, you know, until after when Adam Scott's character, who plays the stepbrother, or the brother of Brennan's, the younger brother, who has a great life, has the Derek. family, Darren, was it Darren? Mm, Derek. Yeah. Derek. Played by Adam Scott, who also was in Parks and Rec, and uh, so was... Catherine Han in Parks and Rec, which it, it really cracks me up because if you're a fan of Parks and Rec, um, his character is total Ugh. 180. Mm -hmm. um, he, in Parks and Rec, he's just like this sweet guy, and he's a little dorky, and he likes Lord of the Rings, and uh, fucking uh, that sh shit HBO show, Game of Thrones, like super dorky, but in this movie, he's like the vice president of the biggest helicopter leasing <laughs> and right. a real estate agent. So, yeah. Um, so, once Derek comes to visit, because he couldn't go to the wedding, so he's bringing his family. That's where the whole, like, uh, sweet child mind thing goes on. And Derek, again, he's, like, very well liked by this, the, this, the father, uh, played by um, Jenkins, because, like, Obviously, the mother and father want Dale and Brennan to kind of grow up, but they love them too much to really push them that direction. They try to, but it doesn't really work. They are enablers. Right. So Derek is basically the opposite of both of them. He's He's got everything, but he's kind of a dick, and his wife doesn't really like him. That's how the whole uh, affair with Dale and uh, Catherine, Con uh, Catherine Hans' character happens, but... 
it it comes out of where after the dinner uh brennan and dale were up at the treehouse <laughs> that they have uh looking at nudie mags and so it you know again there's this like tension there with them because they're you know, like don't crinkle my 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 nudie mag you know uh derek pops his head up he's starting to insult them a little bit and then he realizes oh you really want to hit me, don't you? And he's talking to Dale. He really doesn't know that well at this point. And uh, he says, well, go ahead. You know, look at these abs. He's seen all this old nine. I don't know whose abs they were. Right. So Derek's like, yeah, you know, if you want to do it, go ahead. But, you know, I, I'm really fit. And then, boom, Dale just knocks him out of the treehouse. And he, you know, he's hurt his arm. And his nose is bleeding. Oh, yeah, I'm asking Google. So... At that point, that's when uh, Derek's wife is, like, taken with Dale at this point, And she's all, like, she's just miserable in her marriage because, you know, Derek's a dick and everything else that's going on. So there's some funny bits with her and Dale's character because uh, she interrupts him in a bathroom at one point and they have sex for the first time. And Dale has never had sex with a woman. <laughs> His comments turn is like, eh, it's all squishy. <laughs> something's gonna happen Alice something's gonna happen yeah, it's just funny then she goes and pees standing up so it, it's a riot and I, I don't get like the way that people have seen this and don't find that hilarious like I, even it's now like a Catalina wine mixer yeah it, I'm, going on, I'm going on Sunday right there's a moment where both guys have to go out on their own because the, they've wrecked the fucking dream for their dad and mother. Well, because they wrecked the Gilded Lady. That's what I'm saying. And they're on their own, and there's a point where Brennan gets his first paycheck. <laughs> Before he was didn't have much toilet paper, then he gets like this big 12-roll bag, and he comes out, and he's like doing the Breakfast Club fist in the air, you know? He's like, yes! You know, so... It's a very good comedy. I don't like again. I just it's so strange to me that people don't like it. Uh, I, I get it. Movies are uh, a subjective taste, and especially comedies. Um, I don't know. I, I I really find it funny. Even now, when you and I watch it, we still laugh like hysterically. On oh yeah, it. I, I laugh thinking about it. Right. So and it's one of those things that we always quote too. It's it's, it's so funny. So. Some interesting facts about the movie. Um, Adam McKay was the director for Talladega Nights, and John C. Riley and Will Ferrell were in that together also, which I also think is hysterical. So they actually met up, and they were just, like, chilling out. And they, someone said bunk beds, and that gave McKay the idea to have two grown people... Uh, sharing bunk beds. Another thing that's really because we've been talking about Adam Scott a lot, Derek, the 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 brother. Yeah. He, even though he isn't in the movie as much as John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are, he is like a real big comedic. Like he's got a lot of comedic parts, and he was not. Okay, so it came down to three people. Thomas Lennon, which I most know him from the state, but he everybody else probably knows him from Reno 911. He's um, the lieutenant in there. And um, number three would have been John Hamm. 
he almost played Derek, but Adam Scott beat out Thomas Lennon and John Hamm. I got a feeling with Hamm, it was probably because Scott looks a little younger, and that's the role that that character was, was a younger brother. Well, see, John Hamm in 2008 was, I'm trying to think, was he starting Mad Men? I know he was in Mad Men, and I think part of it, because John Hamm is really funny. Like, Oh, he is. Have you seen him in... Um, the Doctor's Notebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bridesmaids. Yeah. But everybody gets so used to seeing him... In Mad Men. In Mad Men, they kind of like... But Adam Scott was not quite like it was. This is where he kind of like honed his comedy before he got into other things. And um, something else that I saw that was interesting, I knew this. It was Will Ferrell's real singing, because you know it sounds like him. And uh, but it was actually John C. Riley's real drumming too. Right. So he was actually drumming. He he taught himself to play drums when he was in the movie Georgia because the music was recorded live while they were playing um, while they were you know he has filming. a bit of a musical background he we does. saw him in Dewey Cox we saw him in uh, Chicago mm -hmm. and that's that was the other thing too he, he actually has a long musical history he um he, they were his brother started a band called Shark Fighter and uh, John was the lead singer and his brother played drums and wouldn't allow John to touch his drum kit. <laughs> Don't touch my drum kit, John. But on the other side, Adam Scott, he didn't sing in the car. That was him lip singing and somebody else was singing for him while they everybody else in the car was singing a cappella, but he was lip singing to somebody else. Oh wow, he did a very good job <laughs> with that. Which is still hysterical. Um, Richard Jenkins who plays uh, Dale's father, he actually used to work for John C. Riley's father. Oh, wow. So, um, toward the end of filming, Richard Jenkins said to um, John C. Riley, he heard that he um, they were in the linen business or something, and he also lived in Chicago. And then... Jenkins realized that he worked for a John Riley, who was John C. Riley's father, in 1969, and he actually met John Jr., who was John C. Riley, when he was about four years old because mm -hmm. he was working, you know, after, you know, a summer job after after school <laughs> for his dad. I wonder if there's any way at some point they have some sort of like blooper reels for that because you remember the scene with John C. Riley and. Jenkins where they're first discussing about the mother coming to live with them and he's like talking about the ball throw and the bull. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been amazed like how some of these actors can keep a straight face because some of the shit that gets said I would be laughing my ass off. Like I'm sure they probably had a couple takes sometimes but like I'm curious just how much laughing was going on with some of this shit because that's it. that movie is just there's so many great lines. Well, apparently, Collinsworth, my favorite person. Mm-hmm. Hold on. He had filmed a cameo playing Brennan's boss. Yeah. And then whenever he pitched a new line with Profanity, well, whenever he was pitched a new line. And I'm trying to think, when was Chris Collinsworth in the movie, or did we just did it just get cut? 
Chris Collins were, it had to be cut because I'm not cursed, but it was what's his face? Um, Ken, um, the comedian who ended up being his boss, remember? Who was uh, Brennan's? Mm-hmm. You're talking about the guy who goes pow all the time? Yeah, no, it was supposed to be Brennan's boss. Oh, um, you're talking about the guy, not the director, right? Because it wasn't the director, one of the guys interviewing him and whatnot. That was one of the people doing the interview. He had Seth Rogen in there for one. That was kind of cool. Um, Unless they change his... Uh, Cosworth, I don't think, was in there. And he might have been an original plan, but if he had problems with the script, which, you know, it's not uncommon because what the movie This Is The End... Radcliffe, oh, he was cut from Step Brothers. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Mm. Oh my god, this is funny. Will Farrow, Collinsworth was cut from Step Brothers. <laughs> <sighs> so, I mean. Now here's a guy. Now here's a guy. <laughs> but he refused to curse. So, that's that was something I think they, why they probably. Oh, come on, you fool. Oh, my computer's being dumb. So, also, um. She doesn't want to talk anymore. No, no, I'm. My computer's being dumb, and I had this thing bookmarked, and now it's acting like an asshole. <laughs> so, oh, so something else. You know how like John C. Riley and um, Will Ferrell, like they were always wearing like T-shirts and shorts and stuff. So they actually the costumers they didn't want them to look like just adult hipsters. So they went out to. Um, literally just try to find random older shirt look as you saw brennan was wearing like a mountain dew shirt one time just like random shirts so it was it was interesting to well see. there's a lot of uh i don't want to say nostalgia but we talked about it at the time like in dale's room he had a couple of metallica posters uh, uh-huh, one, of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of them actually on myself way back in the day so that was actually kind of cool i i might have to write John C. Ryan, see where I can get that fucking poster because I don't think you can find it anymore. But that's what they were saying. They were going through, like, um, Salvation Armies and stuff trying to... Pick up retro stuff. Yeah, like yeah. retro stuff, like the shirts and, and uh, because they didn't want them to look like they were... Well, they were childlike, Yeah, so. they wanted them to look like man-children, not hipsters. Right. The original cut of the film was five hours long. Which I would want to see it just because I want to see what jokes that they, they... Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, you cannot release a five-hour-long movie, but there's... Well, no... fucking Justice League did it. We can do four hours. Oh, just, you, yeah. you just split it up. You watch the first couple hours and come back later and watch the other. You know what I mean. I would definitely watch it if it was available, but they, they probably... As long as they kept everything together, like, story-wise. Like, if it didn't go off the hook, and you know, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, is it needed? No, because the but movie I itself just, is great. But. I feel like the because it was a collaboration, like between the director Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley. I feel like between all those funny people, you probably have a lot of really funny oh, yeah. jokes that end oh, up yeah. getting cut out. A Step Brothers rap album was almost produced in two thousand and one. <laughs> Boats and hoes. Yeah, Paul and Dobek. But it was, you know, it's hard to kind of like get something like that because they're all working. You know, they're all doing things, so... Um, 
And let me see. The white dog shit Brennan licks was actually powdered donuts. I believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one really wants to lick shit, so. But it's believable because of how they did the editing mm-hmm. and everything else, so. Yeah, that's a great scene in the in the film. Uh, I mean, I'd rather eat powdered donuts off the ground than white dog shit. I mean, now, but you know, it, could you but imagine? They were, but they made it look they, like they rolled it up like turds. But I wonder though, if like at some point <laughs> when they were shooting the scene of after uh, Will did it, he just like <laughs> ate it like you know, still on film, but they didn't use it. That would have been fucking that funny. That would have been really funny. I just he was like. <laughs> he was screaming. Oh my god. I have a stomach full of white dog shit. Right. I, um, when I was, oh god, a teenager, I found it at a dollar store. It was very realistic looking, but it was rubber dog shit. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, I had to buy it because... It I told you what happened to me. No. A friend of mine, when I was young, uh, he had one of those plastic fake pieces of dog shit. Mm-hmm. Like it was all, you know. And he was—he was known. He was younger than me. He was known, but he was known to be a loudmouth and just a prankster and everything else. So he brought it with him in my house. And he's like, my dad had just pulled up, so he's like, "Watch this." So he put it down by the door, front door, and we're standing there in the kitchen, and Dad walks in. And he goes, oh, what's that? And then, like, my dad was angry at me. He's like, clean that up. And, 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 of course, Bobby, this other guy, you know, he's laughing his ass off. I'm like, it's fake. Dad, but, it's a joke. Right. I was so, like, but I was upset because, like, you know, he's yelling at me. Like, I'm like, dude, it's a joke. I So, for me, I had a dog at the time, and um, I bought it. Oh, it was actually at, the, at my condo, my, not my condo, my parents' condo in Ocean City. So I bought it at the, you know, the dollar store, bring it home, and I remember how my my dad's recliner was in front of the sliding door at the condo. Mm-hmm. We, I put it behind there and sneak it in, and then you know my dad's like, oh. Why aren't you guys walking, lady? She took a shit behind my recliner. Somebody clean this up. And we're like, <laughs> So I, like, just grab it. He's like, God damn it, you're disgusting. Don't touch her. Oh, and see, my dad did that with Bobby because Bobby went to reach out. I was like, don't touch it. <laughs> he still didn't get it. It was a joke until so he picked then, it up. Then I picked it up, and I'm like, and my dad's like, oh, my God, that looks so real. So it became, like, a fixture. In the condo for the longest time, is that there was this rubber dog shit in the condo all the time. Everybody knew there was just a pile of rubber dog shit, and so my pop Bill, when he was still alive, and when his mother, uh, my grandma Towsley, she was still alive, he actually took her down to the condo for the weekend, and they had their dogs too, and she thought that the dog shit was real. <laughs> And you remember, she's, she died when she was like 100, so at, at that time, she's like 80, she reaches down to clean up the dog shit, and she and just throws it away. And my grandfather is like, Mom! It was fake. It's, it's pretend, it's like the condo joke, and she's like, why would somebody do that? That's not even funny! <laughs> oh, rubber dog shit. White dog shit. This movie. 
It's yeah, it's so underrated. I'm sorry. You and I will stand by this movie till the end of time. It's it's so good. It's so it, it funny. Just, like, you just gotta you gotta get into a movie and just let it go. Like quit taking it seriously. Just have fun with it. Understand what's going on because it's. I, I I'm not even trying to break it down. Like you got a pair of parents who love their kids, and have put up with a bunch of shit, and then it just kind of even at the end, like the father is like, I was wrong. Like I got so mad because there's this point where they divorce. And separate that, like, he understands later that, oh my god, you guys were actually kind of living a dream. You weren't doing it totally, like, they needed to be responsible adults, but he didn't want them to stop being who they were. He wanted them to stay true to themselves, and... They wanted them to be noobs. You know, be a working man, but have your fun. And at the end, though, it's kind of like a little, um... Yeah. You know, you got Brennan and Dale. They both are now, you know, they've got their apartments now. But jobs. they've got, they, they started their own karaoke business. And they're like, yeah, we've got like five bars now. We, we're turning people away. <laughs> yeah, tell Derek, the father, tell Derek the sh- story times with Brennan and Dale right now. You have to be quiet. But I, I really like the fact that Brennan and Dale, in, at the end, of course, they realize that they can still be themselves and they can still find something that will enter, like, because they both like to sleep until 11 o'clock. Well, that, that's great. So you're going to work at a bar that closes at 2 a.m. where they do their carry, right. carry rock and roll. And yeah, they could do they all work, the fun things yeah. they want, but it's actually paying them. They, they figured out how to, and that's kind of like... But there's all this whole running joke. They're like, you know, you can't just be anybody to do karaoke. This is a serious business. It's serious. If you suck, yeah. you're out of here. Right. So, so I mean, if you haven't seen Step Brothers... Check it out. Check it out. If you five hate, stars, Joe Bob. Yeah, five stars, DJ Neko. Yeah. If, if you hate it, just tell us. Like, I... Because I have these arguments with elf people. I don't like elf. So many people love that film, And But so many people love that film. I'm curious, because... Go ahead and keep going. I know, I was going to say, so many people love elf, but I say um, I don't like elf. And then so many people like old school, but I don't really like old school. And it surprises me, because... Old school, like, kind of reminds me of all of my... A lot of my douchey friends, but... I don't like that, but again, I like Step Brothers. I, I liked uh, what? Elf has eighty-five percent critics, seventy-nine percent audience. Yeah, audit. everybody loves Elf. And I I'm like, it's the dumbest fucking movie. Like, it's not even good. No, it's not good. It's not funny. It's not anything. So, it, but that tells you about the subjectiveness. So, mm-hmm. all, like, no, I guess we just have potty humor. That's really what that it comes down what to. It is like we want, we want something like disgusting like we love the tommy boys and the grandma's boy and just stuff like that like that's our kind of humor uh but yeah it's just so underrated i I, check it out yes so we're gonna get back to our music okay uh some stuff provided by music records uh also inverse records has some stuff in here kicking off though with some brand new corrosive and here we go and we'll be back in a few Yes, sir. 
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace
DJ Numis here with you, getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 134. No, right? Time flies when you're having fun. Appreciate everyone who tuned in. We love the support, obviously. Uh, again, as Neko pointed out uh, not too long ago, if you have any questions or comments regarding our topics want us to uh, talk about anything particular play anything particular let us know uh we aim to please here so uh yeah about ready to get the fuck out of dodge yeah got one track left for you band called poltergeist behind the mask we'll see you next time only here on a metal Tab radio podcast Thank <laughs> you.